In the following live session recording, Tim Cool, Chief Solutions Officer for Cool Solutions Group in Charlotte, North Carolina, talks about the four buckets of church facility budgeting. It is important for church leaders to understand that the operation and care of our ministry facilities is almost always the second or third largest budget expenditure in a church budget. When you're budgeting for your facilities, there are four primary budget buckets that need to be considered. This session will help the listener to understand how to budget for ministry facilities. Let's join Tim now. So to get on the, the right foot to start with, um, how many of you are Baptist? I know that was kind of redundant, huh? Um, how many of you have a facility? Okay, well you probably got the right, right workshop. Um, so just give you a little introduction on myself. Um, I've been serving churches for about 34 years, uh, helping them with their facilities, everything from planning and building to maintaining facilities. And um, I am the, the husband of one wife of 35 years and the father of 22, almost 23-year-old triplets, wow. one of which is in the back room. And um, uh, great to have my son with me. Um, before we get started, how many of you are either pastors? How many of you are pastors? Maybe start with that. How many of you are the, in charge of facilities in some form or fashion at your church? Okay, a few of you. How many of you couldn't find a better session to go to? <laughs> thank you, lady. <laughs> yeah, my son raises his hand. Great, thank you. So, how many of you have a facility manager on your staff? I know you're here, right? So, you got Johnny Owens. I'm sorry for your pain. Um, are you at Statesboro? Did you say you were in Statesboro? Oh, you're, you're in Statesboro. I'm a member here, but I'm the associational missionary. My office is about a half a mile away. Okay, um, but you know Johnny Owens. Yeah, that's, I'm sorry. Um, so, if you don't have a facility manager, but you've got facilities, let me let me give, let's have a little fun before we dig into any material. So, I've got 30 things that you do not want to hear from your facility manager, okay? And by the way, if you can take notes all you want, but if you want the PowerPoint presentation, if you'll give my son a business card or your email, we'll just email them to you. Um, so here's things you don't want to hear, is I'm too busy to plan ahead. I am not, I can just Google that and I'll figure it out. I haven't been on the roof in years. Where did I put that knife and what budget? I am never caught up. And then one of my favorites is, I know a guy. How many times have you heard, well, I know a guy. He'll be able to do it for X, and he's great. Uh, storing gasoline and paint in the same closet is fine. That is the way we have always done it. Seven words of a dying organization. Why would you want to go green? And we're not talking about green paint. We're talking about ecological green. Our team spends X hours a week adjusting thermostats. I have all the information in my head, which means when I get hit by a truck, you're out of luck. I don't like to use technology, that's just who I am. Well, welcome to 2019. To save cost, we are changing to single-ply toilet paper. Again, things you do not want to hear your facility guy say. I don't answer my phone on the weekends. If you have a facility manager and he tells you he doesn't answer his phone on the weekends, you got the wrong facility manager. What is your Super Bowl every weekend? Sunday. Sunday. Okay, it's the weekend. 
And for a facility manager to tell you, yeah, I don't do weekends, you got the wrong guy. Uh, matter of fact, the trend we're seeing with most facility managers is, is they work Sunday through Thursday and then take Friday and Saturday off because you need them on your campus on Sunday. I'm not sure how much money is needed to keep up our facilities. I don't know how many square feet is in our facility. If your facility manager or, or whoever's in charge of facilities can't tell you how many square feet they have, you've got a problem. Because most of your replacement, repair, and maintenance is going to be based on a square footage calculation. If you don't know the square footage, how can you calculate properly all these different things? We're going to talk more about that in a minute. Another one, we'll just have the volunteers paint the steeple. <laughs> talk to your insurance agent first before you do this. The carpet looks fine to me. We cleaned it 10 years ago. I am not sure what that odor is. I'm sure it will just go away. So have you walked into a restroom anytime and it smells like someone had been there before you that had left a deposit somewhere? And that's not the case. So when you walk in, you smell sewer gases. Where's it coming from? Anybody? P-track, exactly. And we're finding it becoming more and more prevalent in, in churches today, not because we're messier in our bathrooms, it's because we've moved away from wet mopping floors. We've gone to microfibers, we've gone to other cleaning processes, where in before we would mop with a mop and the water would go down the drain and it would keep the P-trap full. So if you go into your restrooms and you smell something, take a cup of water, put it down the drain, and the smell will go away. Uh, I won't charge for that one. <laughs> LED will never become mainstream. Life cycle, is that a new kind of bike? Hello, Mr. Fire Marshal. Can you wait here while I go move something? No joke. I had a church that they had a brand new receptionist, and fire marshal showed up, and she knew they had a bunch of boxes stored in front of an exit. She goes, could you wait here? And he followed her all the way back and then fined the church for a violation. Let me set up a ladder on this table to reach that high spot. What is OSHA? Does everyone know that your church is subjected to OSHA? So next time you go back to your church, go and find where your step ladders are. And if it doesn't have the weight limit sticker still on it, you're in violation of OSHA. And you're subject to fines. Now, let me, let me put it in real terms here. The likelihood of OSHA just showing up at your church is slim to none. But if you ever have a construction project going on or renovation that you had to pull a permit for, and there's construction workers there, they may step in unbeknownst to everything else because they're looking for the project and they find other, other things. Or you may have ticked off a neighbor who turns you in for some reason and, and whatnot. So we need to understand that just because we're church doesn't mean that we are exempt from the law. We are a church, so we don't have to comply with codes. Okay, not the case. I'm not sure we, I'm sure we do not need a permit to add on this room. HVAC filters should last at least a year. I only use the building once a week. How dirty can it get? How many of you know how, how often you change your air conditioning filters? Quarterly, monthly, annually? 90 days. Monthly. 90 days. Um, I've always been a 90 day guy. Um, but we have a facility specialist who used to be the operations pastor at First Baptist Belton, Texas. And he goes, I, I went with the cheap ones and I change them every month. Because what it ha does 
is I'm then touching that unit every month. I'm hearing the belt. I'm hearing the squeaks. Instead of waiting three months and then something potentially going wrong in it, he goes, it just forced me to, to step in there and look at it on a more regular basis. The smoke detectors keep beeping, so I just unplug them. Guilty as charged. I have three of them in my house that I have unplugged and taken the batteries out because I can't get them to stop. Uh, I'm kind of like the, uh, the cobbler's children have no shoes. Yeah, same kind of thing here. And then my I favorite... I found a solution to that problem. Have you? <laughs> in my house, for real. Did you? Yeah, one kept beeping, which means the battery's going low. Mm -hmm. So it's powered and the batteries kept charged by the 110. Mm -hmm. So I put a battery in it and it kept walking. So I took it out and I've let it completely die. Oh, okay. I put a new battery in. I'm hoping it'll be another day or two before I plug it back in mm -hmm. and it won't beep anymore. Yeah. The last one I did, I had to just replace the whole one. Yeah, well, I just bought a, I just bought a box of them. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be just getting someone come in and change them out. Then the last one, you never want to hear your facility manager say, it's not my job. The other part of that is we need to understand the facility manager is not the low man on the totem pole. He is not the redheaded stepchild of your staff. He plays a very important role in the operational function of your church. How many of you could continue to church the way you do it now if the government came in and said, your building's unacceptable, you have to move out? Okay, none of us would. I mean, we have gotten so accustomed in, in the Church of North America that we rely on our facilities to do ministry. So. The reason you actually came to this is we're going to talk about the four buckets of budgeting. Um, we're going to, some will spend a little bit more time with others. Um, if you go on our website, there's a free ebook. So if you would have downloaded that before you came, you wouldn't have had to come to this because a lot of it's going to be repeated here. But it's a great tool to give out to your staff and whatnot. So what's your website, sir? It's coolsolutionsgroup.com. And if you'll uh, just go to the resources, we've got a slew of free resources, this being one of them. So let's talk about the first, the first bucket. The first bucket is operations. How do we keep the doors open? So we've done several uh, national benchmarking of uh, churches across the country. And uh, what we have found is most churches operating um, in a good zone are spending a dollar to dollar fifty per square foot annually. So does anybody know what you spend utility wise and how many square feet you have? Anybody know that on the top of their head? When you get back home, run the math. Ideally you'd be at about a dollar twenty-five. So if you're between a dollar twenty-five and dollar fifty, there's room for improvement, but you're still in an acceptable range. If you're over a dollar fifty, you've got a problem. And it's generally one of two things or both. One is behavior. We turn it on at 6 in the morning, we turn it off at 10 at night. That's a behavioral issue that can be adjusted. The second is you probably have inefficient equipment, meaning that it's 12, 15, 20 years old, running, taking much more energy to run than it would be today with a more energy efficient system. So in most cases, it's both of those. Now, if you're under a dollar a square foot, you are either a superstar in energy efficiency, or more likely you are underutilizing your building. So a building could have, a church could see only 90 cents a square foot, 
But if they're a Monday and Wednesday only kind of church, they're probably overspending the utilities if they're only there two days a week. So there could be an underutilization. So people could get lulled to sleep, if you will, by saying, oh, well, we're only 90 cents a square foot. Well, that's, that's great, but how are you using the building during the week? The next part of operational is janitorial. And for us, when we did the uh, assessments, janitorial included the physical labor, the cleaning chemicals, the mops, the carts. Uh, it included all your paper products in your restrooms. It also would include any of your major um, cleanings, like I extract my carpet once every six months. I clean my windows every so often. All that falls into janitorial. And we find the, the ideal range being between $1.75 and 250 a square foot annually. General maintenance is somewhere between 250 and 350. And general maintenance includes everything else other than janitorial to keep your building operating. HVAC repairs, uh, HVAC preventive maintenance, replacing light bulbs, repainting, and so on and so on and so forth. And we'll, I'll give more examples of that later. From a staffing perspective, based upon what we have done studies for, and if you have a facility person, they probably should join an organization called IFMA, which stands for International Facility Managers Association. They are the, the world's leader in facility management as a trade organization. They are not church-centric. They have a community of practice for what they call houses of worship, which means that they're all liberal. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, but based on their studies and the studies we have, the ideal scenario is that you have one full-time staffing person doing maintenance only at, for every 25 to 35,000 square feet. And I'll, I'll explain in a little bit how these two items particularly, if underfunded and understaffed, create deferred maintenance, which is becoming an Achilles heel nationwide for many of the churches that we serve. So those numbers do not include managerial staff unless they're also performing the work. So there's a, there's a misconception in the church world between a facility manager and a facility maintenance person. You gotta have both. Someone has to perform those roles. Is anybody here a business administrator at the church? Executive pastor, okay. What we find is very often we think we have a facility manager but he carries a mop and a, and a you know, tool belt all day long. And so he's spending all day performing tasks and he's not thinking proactively. Facility management is a proactive where facility maintenance is a reactive. And so ad hoc then, the business administrator or the executive pastor becomes the facility manager because he's the one negotiating contracts and trying to think ahead and setting up budgets and so on. The numbers that I gave do not include grounds or insurance. Um, just as a rough number, we've, we have been using the number of $5,000 to $5,500 per year per developed acre to take care of grounds. Your outsourcing may impact these numbers, particularly on the personnel side. If, if, if someone called me up and said, hey, we're running, we've got 60,000 square feet and I've only got one person, so that would put us out of range of that 25 to 35, but they have a preventive maintenance contract on their HVAC that is a full service maintenance agreement, and they have an outsource doing this, an outsource doing that. That will compensate for it 
even though they're not technically on your staff. All of these numbers were based on research by Cool Solutions Group and IFMA, and it assumes a six to seven day a week operation. So if your church is a two day a week operation, these numbers don't apply. Uh, most of the churches we work with are more of a five to seven day a week operation, so that's what we based all of this on. So that's the first bucket is operations. How do we keep the doors open? How do we keep things running on a regular <laughs> basis? The second bucket is deferred maintenance. And I, I alluded to it earlier. Those are all definitions uh, that I found on Google, my favorite encyclopedia. Um, but deferred maintenance is really simple. Is It's stuff we should have done that we didn't do. And so now it's deferred out to the future. That's what deferred maintenance is. A um, couple things about deferred maintenance that comes from two independent studies. One is for every dollar in deferred maintenance costs, four dollars of capital renewal needs in the future. It's going to cost you four times as much to, to replace things. The one that's, that's shocking, I'm going to give you an example of a, of a low country church that I've worked with. If a necessary repair is deferred and allowed to remain in service until the next level of failure, the resultant expense will be 30 times the early intervention cost. Let me give you a prime example. So I, I had the privilege back in the mid-90s to build a church for a community Bible in Buford, South Carolina. And um, they decided to go a little bit on the cheap side and they went with wood windows. So what happens with wood windows along the coast? It's not a great idea. About 10 years later, I came back and built them a second building um, that was a much more substantial concrete and steel building. They said, hey, can you come over and look at our windows in the other building? I said, yeah. Some of them weren't working well. Some of them were all kind of whopper-jawed. And I said, okay, when was the last time you caulked and painted these? They hadn't. They'd done nothing. So if you go to Lowe's or Home Depot and buy a tube of caulk, look at the back of it, the warranty in almost all the caulk that you would buy is one year. Okay. So how many of you recaulk all of your windows every year? I'm guilty. Uh, last year I had to totally rip off some siding on my house because I hadn't caulked the windows and it rotted all the wood behind it. Okay. So we did a quick regression study on that church and said, if you'd have caulked your windows every year for the last 10 years, you would have spent about $4,500 total. Instead, they spent $25,000 to replace windows. Where's the stewardship in that? And you think about this, a tube of caulk costs you, what, a buck and a half, two bucks, three bucks, whatever? So think about a window. I, I Probably less than a, a tube of caulk, I can do a whole window. Well, if you don't caulk your windows and it starts to gap, and it rains, and I know it never rains down here, but where does water go? It goes in that little crack and down the wall. So if you don't caulk your windows on a regular basis, in a few years, you may find some black stuff on the inside of your wall, like mold and mildew. Well, at that point in time, you're replacing drywall, insulation, um, you may be doing mold remediation, you may be even replacing rotted wood, now all of a sudden, a two or three dollar tube of caulk is costing you thousands and thousands of dollars in repair. That's deferred maintenance. Let me show you a couple of prime examples. This is 
This is my favorite picture of all time, and it's a Southern Baptist church in Louisiana that I'm not going to tell you the name. Did anybody see the movie, uh, we, bought, uh, we Bought a Mall? I'm sorry, We Bought a Zoo? zoo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, this church bought a mall. Really bad decision. They have 17 acres <coughs> of roof. Put that into perspective as what it would cost to replace that roof. Okay, 17 acres. Well, they had when they bought the mall, there were a bunch of tenant stores that no longer needed air conditioning units. So they decided it'd be easier just to roof over the unit instead of removing the unit and doing it right. You can't make this stuff up, okay? And every one of these pictures that I'm showing up here are from one of the assessments that we've done on a church. So think, think about this right here. And I, I don't know if you can see it, but that's a downspout going into a puddle. What will happen over time with that water? Where's it going to go? It's going to go under here. It's going to go under there. So instead of spending $10 on a splash block or a little piece of corrugated pipe to get it away, if they don't repair this, and this is actually up in Atlanta at West Cobb Baptist Church. Um, I'm using all the Southern Baptists for my examples today. Um, if, if this isn't repaired, they're going to be spending hundreds if not thousands of dollars at some point in time to remedy that. That's deferred maintenance. Those are things that should have been done that aren't being done in our buildings. We, we, one of the services that we provide are facility condition assessments where we come in and help a church understand what's your deferred maintenance, what's your operational evaluation, uh, what kind of life cycle and capital reserves planning should you have in place and, and so on and so forth. It's not uncommon for us this is another Southern Baptist church, uh, not in this state, uh, Tennessee, uh, that when we did the assessment, they had $3.6 million of deferred maintenance. So start thinking about how long it would take you to get caught up on something like that. A couple of interesting uh, research projects, one by the NEA, the uh, National U Teachers Union, they did a study that said it would take over $322 billion to handle the deferred maintenance in the public school systems. And on top of that, if you were going to bring them all up to modern standards, not just deferred maintenance, $542 billion with a B. Okay, That's a lot of money. So you're sitting there going, yeah, but we're a church. We're not a school. Who, you know, What's the big deal? There's only 98,000 schools in America. There's 350,000 churches in America. Yeah, but schools are bigger than churches. Not all of them. Has anybody ever been to Bellevue Baptist in Memphis? 753,000 square feet. That's bigger than three or four schools combined. So let's just say it's the exact same square footage. My guess is we're at least that bad off. And so again, as an organization that claims to be good stewards, and what is stewardship? Anybody? This... This can wise, be interactive. Wise use of resources. Yes, it's, it's a wise use of resources. I grew up in a pastor's home, and to me, stewardship always meant money. It was always, we're doing a capital stewardship campaign, we're raising money. The real definition of stewardship is it's taking care of somebody else's stuff. So if we believe that everything on earth belongs to God, the chairs you're sitting in, the carpet your feet are on, the cars you drove in, if we believe that, that these belong to God, he has entrusted them to us to steward. And I really believe we will be held accountable one day for how well we steward God's things. 
The other thing with, with schools is schools are entitled. They get tax dollars. How many of you get tax dollars from the government to help you run your ministry? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's, there's big differences there. Capital reserves is the third bucket. So, first bucket's operation, second bucket is deferred maintenance, the third bucket is capital reserves. And I like to refer to capital reserves as facing the inevitable. Replacing your air conditioning units and your roof and your flooring and um, your parking lot are not an if question. It's a when and how much. Is anybody planning on retirement? Anybody? You start maybe putting some money away for retirement? Okay. When you put money away for retirement, do you put money in the account this month so you can spend it next month? No, the intent is you put money aside so that it will grow over time so that when I need the money, it's there. That's the same principle for uh, capital reserves is the same as, as your, think of your capital reserve account as your IRA for your building. Okay, most churches don't think in those terms. Uh, but you will replace every air conditioner. You will replace every stitch of roofing and every piece of parking. All of that are inevitable costs. So let me give you a quick three, three facts related to this. The first one is all buildings deteriorate at a rate of 1% to 4% a year. Now did you notice I didn't say every church building? It's every building, because every building is built out of natural resources and human-made resources. They're all going to deteriorate over time. <clears throat> because of that, you will replace nearly every major component of your building. You may not replace the foundation, you may not replace your structural steel, but almost everything else at some point in time will be replaced. I've already mentioned the obvious, roofing, HVAC, and so on and so forth. How many of you have changed out to LED lights at your church? Okay, you have replaced, you are replacing a major building component. How many of you have added an ADA compliant whatever, ramp, elevator, okay, all of that. Those are, those are things that you are changing over time. The next fact is that all of that's going to require dollars. I'm yet to find a roofing contractor that will swap sheet to replace your roof. Okay? It's going to require, unless you've got a really big flock that you can sell and then use that money. It, there's not the agrarian society anymore where we're trading goods and services like that. And I've already hit on this. But if you don't keep up with the natural rate of deterioration, it starts to become exponential over time. Um, so we, we refer to this as life cycle. And when you think of the life cycle of a building, there's about five uh, components that make it up. The first is the planning part. That's the fun part. Everyone loves to plan the new building. How are we going to use it? What, what's always the carpet? What's this, how big is the steeple? Then you have to get it designed. Then you have to get it built. So you go from really fun to somewhat fun to different. Commissioning is just a fancy word for making sure that the systems are operating the way they were intended to operate. We don't use that much in, in the church world, but it's, it's a component that needs to happen in a construction project. Then the last piece is facility management. But this is not a, I go from here to here to here to here and then stop. How many of you have a building that's older than 30 years? Okay, a good number of you. 
you're reusing your building in ways that it wasn't originally designed for, which means you're going back through a planning stage, and this that's why this is a cycle. This is not a straight line with an endpoint. This is something that continually happens perpetually. I'm a firm believer that, that the gospel never changes. How we deliver it, how we uh, set up Sunday school, how we do worship is always going to change. I didn't find a single hitching post out here for a horse and buggy. Okay? Things change, and I'm not saying that we keep up with culture, but things change just societal. So I'm going to break up the, the life cycle of a building into maybe terms that we can understand that are human in nature. So stage one is prenatal. This is when you're getting ready to build a building. At this point in time, you don't need to have a budget for operation. You don't have any deferred maintenance. You don't have to have a capital reserve. You don't need any of that. However, it is the best time to plan for it. I worked with a, a church in Nashville where the pastor, I wasn't involved in their project, but I came in afterwards to help them assess the building. The pastors were all upset that they're, they just built this new building and the utilities had gone up. They built 60,000 square feet and no one planned on the utility bill going up. Well, even at a dollar a square foot, that's an extra 60,000 a year that somebody should have been thinking about before you built the building. When, when someone, whenever you're thinking about building a building or expanding your, your footprint, the cost of it is different than the cost of owning it. You've got to factor in both. That's why a, a home mortgage company looks at what is your overall operating cost and not just what can you afford from a mortgage. They, they take a factor of what utilities should be and what taxes should be and all that kind of stuff. That needs to factor into all of that. During the childhood phase, you've got this green bar here is kind of your routine general maintenance. For the most part, it stays static unless you add more square footage. Now, static with inflation, okay? It's not like it will stay totally static. There's gonna be an inflation increase. But if it's properly funded, it should stay pretty consistent on a regular basis. But somewhere in that first 16 years, you're gonna start using capital reserves and capital renewals. Uh, if, if you have a rooftop air conditioning unit or a heat pump, the expected life is 15 years in most of those. So somewhere in this first time, you're going to start replacing or likely to replace air conditioning units. If you made the decision to put in an inexpensive carpet to start with, somewhere in that first 16 years, you're replacing carpet. You're repainting for sure. I step into year 17 through 29, and notice how much bigger the capital renewals are. And the reason being is there's more things that have now come to end of life, but there's also things that are at end of life for the second time. I may have replaced carpet three times in those 30 years. I probably have replaced some of my air conditioning for a second time. If I haven't replaced air conditioning, let's say I've got a, how many of you have chillers or boilers? Okay. Well, they should last 25 to 30 years, but they're really expensive, which means you're going to need a lot of money when you hit that 25 to 30 year mark. I get into years 30 through 49. Again, it's gone up because I'm replacing some things again for the fourth, fifth time already when I get to this age. But in addition, 
I'm starting to do some adaptations. Uh, you've already mentioned, some of you already said you moved to LEDs. Okay, that's an adaptation to your building uh, that's making modifications. So in these older buildings, we start seeing more adaptations. When we get into the 50 plus, the capital reserves generally have reduced, this is all the caveat is that you've maintained your building properly and you've been using capital reserves to make replacements. Capital reserves will reduce because you started a cycle again and most of your components are new or relatively new. So less likelihood of, of um, changing. Now I'm gonna blow through these slides because they basically are a reiteration of what I just said. But what ends up happening is, is we have this, the, our finance committee, our, um, our business administrators say, no, let's get another year or two of life out of this thing. And they keep pushing while everything is crumbling around them. Too often, we think we're being a good steward by using duct tape and chewing gum to keep something going, where we're really throwing good money after bad instead of just replacing it when it needs to be replaced. But the reason we don't do that is we haven't saved the money in a capital reserve account to do it. We just keep spending on everything else. Question. Yes. I attended probably 30 years ago a conference about along this line in South Carolina. And the guy called it contingency fund. Mm -hmm. Same thing you're saying. Air conditioning units blow, things happen. Yep. Buildings as they get older. He gave us an index. And he said, whatever your bottom line is on your church budget, then you need to have ten, at least 10% in a contingency. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, don't, I don't adhere to that. Okay. It's, a, it's a reasonable assertion, but I don't believe you can use the budget as a factor. Okay. If I've got 100,000 square feet and I had a budget of $3 million one year, and five years later my budget's only $2 million, I still have 100,000 square feet. And so I, I would rather use a, a per square foot amount. Okay. So as a, as a rough rule of thumb, if I wasn't going to line item everything out, I would be using somewhere between $1 and $3 per square foot per year for that capital reserve contingency, sinking fund, it's been called all sorts of things. Um, if I was building brand new today, I would use a dollar a square foot because I've got lots of time for it to start to grow over time. If I've got an existing building that's maybe less than 40 years old, about $2 a square foot. If I've got an older building or I have a building that has lots of deferred maintenance, I would use at least $3 because you've got to start catching up and not just planning ahead. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. So let's, let me show you an example of how critical this is. And this is uh, this part of, it, uh, of this workshop is, is generally where I have the gasps and the oh my kind of kind of thinking, but it really helps when you go back to your finance team to help them get a grasp. So we're gonna look at the real cost of facility ownership. Again, not built, not the cost of building, not the cost of construction. What's it cost to own a building? So we did a, um, a report for Church Executive Magazine several years ago, and we created our own fictitious building. So we, we did a, a building about 30,000 square feet. We spent $4.7 million on it. Now these numbers have a little bit of age on it, so you're not building a 30,000 square foot for 4.7 today. But of that 4.7, we made the assumption that you were gonna borrow 3 million, because you'd raised 1.7 in cash. 
15 year AM, 6% interest, but you pay it off in seven years, in that seven year period of time, you will have spent $1.1 million in interest. So that's the cost of money. Dave Ramsey says that anything that you buy on credit, the cost of that item, you have to add all the interest in it to, to really say that's what that item costs. So when we look at the total cost of ownership, you've got to look at how much are you investing in something like this. And how many of you get to write off that on your taxes? Mm -hmm. None. You're a nonprofit. So then if we take the numbers that I had given earlier for operations, which range between 525 and 750 a square foot, again, those are the, the numbers, that's our operation cost. If I add my one to three dollars per square foot for capital reserves, I get somewhere between 625 and 950 a square foot annually. So for our example, we used seven, somewhere below the, the midpoint. That means I need to have $210,000 a year for operations and capital reserves. If I assume a 40-year life cycle, and if you don't think your building's gonna last 40 years, don't build a building. Buy a tent, run a shopping center, do something else. 40 years is kind of the industry standard for benchmarking as far as life cycle cost of a building. So we used 40 years, we made the assumption of a one, 0.5% annual inflation rate. Right now, maybe a little less than that. I assure you in a few years, it will be higher than that. But let's just use 1.5, and let's just assume that it's a compounding annual event. That means that I will spend 4.7 on my building to build it, $1.1 million in interest, and $13.4 million over 40 years to operate it. So where should our attention be? We get so hung up on how can I cut a dollar a square foot out of the contractor? How can I get a half a percent out of the architect? Where at the end of the day, you're, you're changing one of the smallest pieces of what it costs to own that building over 40 years. Instead of thinking about how do I get to that 40 foot chandelier? How do I replace the lights in the sanctuary with pews and a sloped floor? I was in a church recently that had just built their building, just made me laugh. You couldn't open the, the filter door to get the filters out of it the way they had situated the unit in there and built walls around it. I'm like, uh, anyway. <laughs> you can't fix stupid, okay? Amen. Ain't no stupid. Ain't stupid either. So our $4.7 million building is really going to cost us $19.2 million over 40 years. If we don't grasp this, we're going to continue in, in a spin. We're, we're, we've done a fair amount of work with Tom and Sam Rayner, and um, they've got their new revitalization network. And we are doing assessments every week at churches that have millions of dollars of deferred maintenance and not enough budget and, and so on. And, and some of it I get. You know, Growing up in a pastor's home, I realized that there's a budget that we got to live with. Well, there's some other things that we need to make then accommodations for, which is another reason why I don't, I don't like to use um, the budget amount for any, any projections. Unless you're closing off part of your building and never using it, you still have the same amount of square footage you've got to heat, cool, and maintain. If you look at it in a pie chart, about 20% of the cost is in sticks and bricks. 
about 3% in architect and contractor's fees, 6% in the, in the interest that you paid, the cost of money, 71% of your building cost is in operations. After we published this, I got a call from State Farm Insurance. They have an office in Chicago that's made up of facility managers, architects, and contractors that handle all their buildings nationwide. They had just finished a similar study on all of their 40 to 50 year old buildings. Their report indicated 80% operation cost. Then I found this book from 1965, written by an architect. His assumption was 85% is operations. Now, both of theirs included insurance, mine didn't. So by the time you add insurance in, my guess is we're up in that same range. But that's somewhat irrelevant. I don't care if it's 71 or 85, it's a big number. It's a big number and we've got to take it seriously. So because we're, we're in a family of Baptists here, we've got to use scripture somewhere along there. And having come from a preacher's home and going to a Christian college, I can manipulate scripture to mean whatever I want it to. Okay, so, so that we're all, <laughs> all clear on that. Heresy, I know. Um, but the first capital reserve account can be taken back to Kings 12. So let me just read a couple of the verses. Let every priest receive the money from one of the treasurers, then use it to repair whatever damage is found in the temple. That's a capital reserve account. Okay? But by the 23rd year of King Joas, the priest still had not repaired the temple. That's called a deacon's meeting. Is that, is that called deferred maintenance? That's deferred maintenance, exactly. That's deferred maintenance. The priests agreed that they would not collect any more money from the people and they would not repair the building themselves. They didn't do a DIY project. They intentionally hired proper craftsmen to do it. So w while I'm stretching um, scripture here a little bit, let me, let me take it just a touch further. The original facility managers were considered holy men. Okay, if you read numbers, the Levites were the first facility guys. If you go to the next chapter in Numbers, the Levites must join you in fulfilling the responsibilities for the care and maintenance of the tabernacle, but no unauthorized person may assist you. Okay? It wasn't the lowly tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. It was the high priests were called to take care of the tabernacle. If you read that scripture, it talks about you're, you have to do this with the candlesticks, you have to do this with the poles, this with that, and so on and so forth. And it was the high priest's responsibility. So I would contend that long before there was a youth pastor, an executive pastor, they were facility managers. Okay? I told you I could stretch anything I wanted to out of proportion. Um, so what are capital reserves then? If we, we say we need them, what are they? Capital reserves are merely a, an amount of money that an organization keeps in a separate account for the future. So there's three primary words there that we need to grasp. Money. Dollars. It's not the hope of dollars. It's not the wish of dollars. It's dollars. It's money set aside. It's put into a, a special account or at least a designated line in your GL that needs to have words next to it, thou shalt not touch. Mm -hmm. So it's not the pastor's slush fund. It is not the, oh, missions trip didn't raise enough money, we're going to take it from it. Again, 
all of those costs are inevitable. You will replace those air conditioning units. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll borrow from that fund and then we'll pay it back over time. Never happens. Kind of like Social Security Trust Fund. Designed exactly. That's a great <laughs> analogy, actually. The third word is it's for the future. I already mentioned you don't put money into a retirement account to use it next year. Unless you're already 68 years old and you're looking to retire next year. You're looking at it for the long term. So I've had churches say, yeah, we have a capital reserve account. We put X amount of dollars every year in our budget and then we spend it. That's not capital reserves. That's operation cost. Yeah. And um, so just be thinking, thinking about that. Your capital reserve fund is not a rainy day fund. Okay? It, it is not that get out of jail free card. In addition, when you're looking at the rate of deterioration, you have got to look at your current replacement value. That 1% to 4% of deterioration a year is based on what its current replacement value is. My guess is most of you with your insurance companies have to have a current replacement value on your insurance policy every two to three years. Okay. It's going to cost you more to replace it now than it did when it was built in 1960. Okay, so you've got to take that into consideration as well. So one of the big questions we're asked is how much is enough? Well, you can't have too much in my opinion, uh, but then again, I'm twisted. So. Churches will say, well, we don't know where to start. How, how do we know what, what to do? Well, the first thing is if you're looking for what things cost, there's a new thing out called the internet. And you can Google almost anything you want to find out cost. But your best source of getting that information is from the contractors and vendors already servicing your church. If you have a preventive maintenance contract with your HVAC contractor, he should already have a list of all your units how old are they? When's their life expectancy gonna be up? If they haven't provided you that, they've not done their duty. Because that stuff should already be in hand. If they haven't done it, then call them up and say, hey, we've got three five-ton units and what would it cost us to replace them today? That way you'll at least know what the replacement value is in today's dollars. I'm also a pretty big fan of, of um, relamping at one time. When I go into a church for the first time, and, and I'm generally in a, a different church at least two to three times a month, so I, I'm almost away from my own church as much as you are. Um, but when I walk into the sanctuary and there's a light out, a light out, a light out, it looks like they can't take care of their building. As a first time guest, my first thought is, you guys can't maintain your building. So I'll ask about it, oh, well, we're waiting until more go out, then we'll get the lift in here one time and only do it one time. Okay, so in the meantime, all of your guests are going to think that you're not maintaining your building. Is that really the story you're wanting to communicate to your, to your guests? Uh, I'm a big fan of saying, okay, I've got 30 lights in my sanctuary. They're X wattage. I go to a manufacturer who tells me how many hours it should have life in the, in the bulb. Then back off about 20 to 25% of that because manufacturers lie. Okay, then do a quick study. Hey, we use our sanctuary 12 hours a week. So if, if I've got a bulb that's going to last 7,000 hours, how many years will that take me out? And when you get at that point, even if all the lights are burning, replace them all. 
you're only getting the lift in there once, you're only having to relocate and move your pews once, you get it all done and you don't have to do it again for another X number of years. Yeah, but they're, they're still working, but not for long. Okay, if they've started to get close to the end of their expected life, you're better off to replace them all at one time. Now we have a free tool, um, if you pick up one of these cards that say eSpace on it, we, we've got a, a facility management software program, but we've got a tool that's totally free. Uh, it's a life cycle calculator that allows you to line item the things that you need to track from a capital reserve standpoint. Again, totally free. Um, there's no limit on, on how much you can use it or whatnot. But it'll allow you to put in uh, capital groups, flooring, HVAC, paving, roofing, break it up that way. Uh, what's my system? Where's it located? But then what's the current replacement value? Going back to what I said, if you go to your vendors, what's the replacement value to replace these things? And then how many years of useful life do I still have in that? You're able to plug in an inflation number, anywhere from one to 100% inflation, you, you pick. So in this case, this was a $52,000 item with a 20 year life expectancy of remaining useful life. Not what is its total life, because if it's already 10 years old, then I've only got 10 years of remaining useful life. At 20 years, at 3%, my $52,000 item is going to require $94,000 to replace. Or $4,700 a year needs to be set aside for that line item. That's planning ahead. That's being proactive. And churches say, well, how, how can we ever afford that? How can we ever afford to do this? Number one, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to jump to $1 to $3 a square foot overnight. But start with something. Maybe it's 25 cents a square foot for the first year and then goes to 50 cents and so on and so forth. That's, that's important. But I, I firmly believe, because I've seen it over and over, where if a church is doing their due diligence on both maintaining the building and setting aside capital reserves on a regular basis, they actually will save themselves money in the long run. Go back to my example about the windows. They could have spent $4,500 in 10 years, instead they spent $25,000. They spent almost $20,000 more than they should have if they'd have maintained the building. And so where, where could that $20,000 have gone? Missions, staff, other things like that. So in the long run, we end up hurting ministries by not having planned ahead like this. Hey, Tim. Yes, sir. Well, one thing in the middle of that, that we found, we had a fairly young church. Mm-hmm. Had about 40,000 square feet. This is what we found, too, because we got to that stage of the teen years, having to do all things again, air units especially. Mm-hmm. The componentry costs you a lot more on the front end when you replace it, but the LEDs, mm-hmm. the new gas they're using in your air units, Yep. Your efficiency of windows and things like that can go way up yep. so that your maintenance cost goes way down. So you're exactly. actually losing money by delaying it also. Yeah, and with LEDs, the, the life expectancy of those bulbs versus incandescent bulbs is significantly longer. Um, just to give you a, a real quick example, the exit lights in your building. If you change out that 40-watt bulb with a 2.4-watt LED, it gives you the same amount of lumens you'll save over $30 a year in utility costs just on that exit sign. Mm-hmm. And if you go to your utility company, many of them are still offering incentives for you to make that kind of upgrade. They'll give you money back. That's right. Up, up until recently, Duke Energy in, in Charlotte, which is where Lee and I are from, 
they were paying up to 75% of the cost of an LED retrofit. Well, you'd be crazy not to take advantage of that. Yes, sir. We just made some sound. I just did one a year ago, and it's 500 bucks a year difference. Mm -hmm. If I did the math right, which I think I did. Mm -hmm. Power? Yeah, and they were 11 watt bulbs to 1 watt bulbs. Uh, for just your exit signs? Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of them, you know. Yeah. We're starting to talk real dollars at that point. I mean, and you know that those LED bulbs will last 10, 12 years. And so instead of replacing the bulbs every two or three years, and those bulbs and those those long skinny ones aren't cheap. You know, they're five, six bucks a piece. If I can go with the LEDs, now I've saved all that money on top of it. A lot of people don't realize, too. If you have a 100-watt incandescent bulb, mm -hmm. you know how much heat Mm -hmm. Comes out of that. Ninety-seven percent. Yep. Three percent of the hundred watts is the light. Yeah. Ninety-seven percent heat. Yeah. And so, if I'm in a sanctuary with incandescent lighting and incandescent stage lighting, you know, now I'm working my air conditioning even harder. So not only am I spending more money on lighting, I'm, I'm having to run my air conditioning harder just to keep up with it. Now you guys don't have air conditioning down here in southern Georgia, do you? <laughs> so, ten months out of the year. Pardon? We run them ten months out of the year. Yeah. Yep. It's just it's the way it is. And what I find, even in colder climates, churches will run their air conditioning units ten to twelve months out of the year. Because when you fill up a room with people, it gets a little too warm, and you need to turn the air back on. Um, I'll share this in, an, in another session later, so if you come later, just pretend you didn't hear this. Um, but most of us have thought, let me ask this, have any of you ever dozed off in church? <laughs> I have preaching students. <laughs> I'm not buying. <laughs> most of us have always thought, well, that's because the preacher is boring, or maybe I stayed up too late. The number one reason why that happens in a church is you've got too much CO2 build up in the room. You sing, you talk, you fill up the room with carbon dioxide. Okay, that makes you sleepy. Think, think about you know the people that want to commit suicide. They put the the hose in their <laughs> in their tailpipe and put it in the car. They're doing the same thing that's happening to us in church. Just so we just go to church instead of commit suicide. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, at least we'll all know where we're going when we're done, hopefully. And so, about eight nine years ago, they changed the building codes to require fresh air makeup in, in your sanctuaries. But if you've got a building that's 20, 30, 40 years old sanctuary, you're not gonna have that kind of equipment. So one of our recommendations is get a CO2 sensor in your sanctuary and hook it up to your thermostat. So that even if the air conditioning is not on, but you get too much CO2, it will turn the air on, suck everything out, and refresh the room. You can do that for less than 50 bucks. Okay, it's a great way to just, again, eliminate that as an issue so we're always asked okay where do I start how do I prioritize well if I'm looking at strictly the largest dollar items I'm looking at HVAC roofing and asphalt um, those are always the biggest ticket items um, that, that we find unless you've got some kind of a structural problem from an operational impact as far as your, your cost of operating your building the, the first one is HVAC. Between 50 and 75% of your utility bill is tied to HVAC. 
So that's a big operational impact. Another one is your building envelope. How much air are you letting seep out of your building or letting too much hot air into your building? So building envelope is a big operational impact. And then lighting and electrical. Again, going back to LEDs. From a visual perspective, parking and site concrete are a huge item. When someone's brand new to your church, what's the first thing they're going to see? Your parking lot. Okay, your landscaping, your, your sidewalks. And so a first-time guest, and by the way, they're guests, not visitors. And if you come back tomorrow, I'll tell you why. Um, but the you know, first-time guest, when they walk up and they see grass growing in the parking lot and growing between the sidewalk cracks, what story is that communicating to them as they're coming up? Yeah. So then also your floor finishes are a big deal wall finishes and lighting as you walk through this campus and, and Johnny Owens does a great job on maintaining this building although I love to dog him about it um, walk around with a set of fresh eyes look at certain things when you leave this room go this way go about four feet and look at the ceiling there's a massive stain that looks brand new um, most likely it's not a roof leak, it's a condensation line, you know, come loose on air conditioning and whatnot. But look, look at the building with fresh eyes. What are the things you see? Too often in church, we stop seeing things. We stop seeing them in our homes. Mm -hmm. It was about three months ago, my son was at our house. And he goes, you know, you need to practice what you preach. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, do you see that crack above your closet door? And there's this big crack, settling crack. I said, yeah, it's been there for years. I, just, I don't see it anymore. <laughs> okay? I, I was with a, a church in Raleigh la, uh, two weeks ago, a Baptist church, and the pastor was, yeah, let me show you the building. And we went from the lobby to the sanctuary with a big strip of duct tape right there in the threshold. And I'm thinking, as a first-time guest, these, these are things that don't communicate <clears throat> that we're a growing church, that we're caring about our people because we can't care for our own building. Um, if you're wanting to do uh, or get started on a capital reserve, in our resource section, we have another ebook uh, establishing capital reserves. Uh, we give a lot of stuff away. Um, so we, the first bucket was operations. Second bucket is deferred maintenance. The third bucket is capital reserves. The fourth bucket is projects. I want to do a major renovation project. I want to add on six classrooms. Those need to be budgeted as kind of a separate bucket in your thinking. Most churches do that pretty well right now. But in a perfect world scenario, what bucket should be missing? Deferred maintenance. Thanks, Gary. In a perfect world, we would have enough money in our budget to handle general maintenance so that the building's always maintained properly and then have enough capital reserves that when it comes to end of life, I can just replace it. Nearly every, well, I can tell you, every facility assessment that we've done over the last five or six years for churches, when a church has deferred maintenance, which is 100% of every church we've ever done, we can go in and we can quantify that they were underfunded in general maintenance and understaffed in facility. Every one. 
That's why it's deferred, it's because you don't have the money and the people to handle it. So we did an assessment about a month and a half ago for First Presbyterian Church in Arlington, Texas. This is a 40,000 square foot building, congregation of 250 people, $1.9 million of deferred maintenance. How do you ever get caught up? So I did a quick kind of regression look at it and said, okay, over the last 20 years, if you just spent the right amount of money in all of your general maintenance, how much would you have spent? It was $900,000. Instead, they're going to have to pay $1.9 million to get it all up to par. Again, so you start thinking stewardship. If we just, we all look old enough except for, our, except for maybe you. Um, it, 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 yeah, probably too young. Do you all remember the Fram oil filter commercial? Pay me now or pay me later? Same thing. I can buy an $8 filter or I can spend $4,000 on a new engine. Same thing applies. We're, so if we're truly stewardship minded, we need to be thinking about how are, are, we, are we scripting on pennies today with the reality that we're going to spend dollars and dollars and dollars later on to fix it. Well, that's all that I've got. Um, I'm sure no one will mind getting out a few minutes early. There's a little bit of literature up here. I've got some business cards. We have a booth down in the old sanctuary part down, one, one floor down. Just go down the stairs out here. Um, but let me just open it up for any general questions, anything that I can respond to or help address. When you talk about capital reserves, mm -hmm. Would it be prudent to have a small portion of capital reserves in a fund that you could access almost immediately? Absolutely. Okay. And then a probably larger portion, say at interest, at George Baptist, we have a foundation. Mm -hmm. But I talked to them for one of our churches, and they said, if you need the money within five years, you don't need to be putting it with us. Yeah. It's an investment yep. um, place. And um, <laughs> so they're saying beyond five years, if you got money, you need like a capital reserve, well, we can get to it. Yes, you can get to it, but he said it won't grow very much. It won't grow very much. Yeah. As I asked him for one of our churches that was going to use it within a year, mm -hmm. and they were putting it in the bank at a quarter of a cent. Mm. And I said, told the pastor afterward, you, you get more money at the foundation, you get 5%. Yeah. Then I talked to the guy at the foundation, he said, they don't need to be putting it with us. Because you don't know when the market's going to take a downturn. Yeah, exactly. It's been humming you know, the last you know, few years. If, if you were to use this tool, and just, I don't want to sound mercenary, so whether you use our free tool or use a spreadsheet or use an abacus, I don't really care, as long as you use something to calculate it. But in, in ours, we have a, a summary that will show you year over year all of those items that were replaced in a calendar year. So in that case, you could look at what over the next five years are we projecting. Let's keep that in a CD or in a money market or a cash account. And then the rest of it will continue to invest to grow at hopefully four, five, six, seven percent yeah. over time. Yeah, great question. Great comment. Any suggestions, unfortunately, to um, address like deactivating a part of the building to not make it <laughs> just go to waste? You know, I mean, is there something that should or shouldn't be done? Yeah, if you're going to if you're going to shut down a portion of the building, uh, don't turn off the air conditioning. Okay. Unless you buy a dehumidification system, particularly down in this neck of the woods, because uh, that's going to be your, your your biggest issue. You don't have to worry much about freezing pipes and stuff. I mean, that's 
generally not, not a problem down here. More like a third floor versus a, it's not the whole building, a third mm -hmm. floor kind of thing. Yeah, I think you, is it separately heated and cooled? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you cut that back, you go to a, um, say a, a 60 and 78, 79 degree set points on it, so that it's still getting some dehumidification out of it, and just close it off. Don't let people up there, don't let people use it. Um, you don't have to clean it. Uh, well, you may want to a couple times a year hit the dust bunnies. You still want to do the damp, damp red thing uh, yeah. in one of those rooms because they'll just accumulate. I mean, with the, the lack of opening and closing doors mm -hmm. and like that, those damp red things will save you from smells and stuff that you know. Yeah, so there's some of that kind of stuff that, that you'd want to do. Um, unless you can find somebody that can occupy that space for you. Another nonprofit, a school, or whatever that can occupy that space. The the church in Louisiana, they they bought that mall. Uh, it has a million square feet, and they had uh, about four hundred fifty thousand of it just sitting empty that they had never renovated. And when we walked on the roof, we feared for our life, and we told the church, "Your best option is bulldozer, just bulldozer." Because they're paying insurance on something that eventually would be non-insurable. Mm. There's going to come a point where the insurance company's going to say, we're not going to insure that part of the building, which may mean we not, don't insure any part of the building. Mm. And their best option was to bulldoze it. Wow. In answer to his question, I served a church that closed down the third floor. Probably they didn't pay any attention to the roof. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah good point. In South Carolina, we had about five inches of snow then when it started to melt, now we have water coming over there. We had to have, it was a built-up mm -hmm. flat roof. Mm -hmm. And the guy that took the roof off told us he didn't know how we got away with this because there was two more roofs on top of it. Mm -hmm. And it was literally a miracle that came in. Yeah. So I would say that's the top floor. You need to pay attention to the roof. It's, it's been deactivated for a while, but I, I walk up there quite often. Yeah, I, yeah. I would, I, if I deactivate any part of my building, I'm, I'm going to be up there on a regular basis. One of the other things that we've been really involved with with Dr. Rayner is on helping churches right-size their campus. You know, there, there was a, a time in the 90s, particularly in the 80s, when the idea of building a sanctuary the size of Statesboro was all the rave. And now you've got a church that's running 500 people in a room that'll seat 1,200. Um, Hermitage Hills Baptist Church in uh, Nashville. We worked with them and we were able to convince them that they needed to, well, they did what you want to do with the choir loft, just skimmed it. Um, but we piped and draped the upper part of their balcony. There's no need for people to sit up there. So there's no reason to turn the lights on. It was on a separate air conditioning system. There was no reason to, to run it. It was part of the bigger room, so it had enough air circulation without specific utilization up there. Um, but that, that is a common thing that we're finding is churches have too much, too much square footage. Let's go outside. Um, yeah, one of our clients is First Baptist of Tupelo, Mississippi. And they called me up and said, hey, we need 20, 30,000 more square feet. So we went and met with them and did some consulting and planning. I said, no, you have 20,000 square feet too much. When you look at their programming, they had built you know, what the Sunday School Board told them to do in 1950, 1955, with all these little rooms. 
That's the only door in this room that unlocks. Those are all lockable storage closets now. So you've got plenty of square footage here. If you, if you didn't have those walls, you've got plenty of square footage. But again, going back to my Winston Churchill, we, Winston Churchill said we shape our buildings and thereafter they shape us. So most churches do ministry the way their building tells them to do ministry. And so thinking beyond that to say, okay, how would we do ministry if the building wasn't here? Okay, now what can I do to my building to get us as close to that as possible? Any other, any other questions, comments, complaints, criticisms? Why? came to the church um, been there three and a half years and the previous guy messed up so anyway they hadn't done any maintenance in a long time so we are uh, catching up on everything we just spent $120,000 on roof and resurfacing the parking lots and all that other stuff so mm -hmm. we're like in uh, catch up mode so it, it, it is <clears throat> way more expensive to do it all at once mm -hmm. than over incrementally and it just kept putting it off putting it off putting it off, boom there you walk in it's all there so yeah, deferred maintenance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we understand it well. Great. You're, I think you call operational reserve, capital reserve. Capital reserve. Mm -hmm. One to three and a half dollars a square foot. One to three dollars a square foot. Okay. So what do you do when you have a campus that has a building that's probably 100 years old? Mm -hmm. And then you go down in age from that until you get down to the main worship center that's like 15 years old. So it's three dollars a square foot for the old building, mm -hmm. and maybe a buck for the new one. No, probably two. Two for the new. Yeah. Okay. If it was brand new, built in the last one to two years, I'd say a buck. Yeah, no, I had about fifteen. Yeah. Well, thank you all for coming. Um, enjoy the rest of the conference. I'll be here all day today and tomorrow in this room. So if anyone's bored and can't find another <laughs> workshop to go to, I'll be here. Thank you very much. Thank you.